flesh will fail And bones will break Thieves will steal The earth will shake Night will fall And light will fade The Lord will give And take away Good morning and welcome again to Trinity Heights. And it's my privilege this morning to welcome our speaker, Miguel Lau from IJM. Um, Miguel's going to be sharing with us the incredible, amazing work of uh, the International Justice Mission, which is something that's been really close to my heart and Julia's heart for a number of years now. Actually, I think near, almost two decades uh, since, since it's been going and we first heard about it. And uh, Miguel, in his role at the moment, is working very hard to connect churches, not just here in America, but around the world, globally, to connect churches to the incredible work of IJM. And so that's one of the things I've really appreciated about IJM, is they do work with and through the local church to accomplish their mission. Um, and so he's looking at creative ways to make that happen and, and make that those partnerships as fruitful as they can possibly uh, be. Um, Prior to that, uh, he had a lot of boots-on-the-ground experience working with uh, anti-trafficking initiatives in Southeast Asia. Uh, he, he's also served on staff at a church. Um, he's had a career in the tech industry. I think he's got a degree in film. Bit of a polymath, actually. So I'm really looking forward to hearing from Miguel. Would you please give him a warm Trinity Heights welcome? Thanks, Miguel. Before we get started, let me, uh, let me go ahead and, uh, and just open us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to hear from you. Lord, I pray that this morning as we hear the scriptures, as we hear the word open to us, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us. Lord, that you would help me to hide behind your cross, that you would speak through me, that it would not be the voice of a man that we hear, but instead the voice of the Lord calling us to yourself. So Lord, I thank you again, and I pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, so for those of you who are wondering when you heard or saw my name, I do have a fairly interesting heritage, at least in my estimation. So my father is actually half Cuban and half Chinese. My mom is Italian. Both of them are immigrants to the United States. So when they met in South Florida and were dating initially, they were actually speaking three different languages to each other when they're trying to get to know each other. My father was speaking Spanish and a little bit of broken English. My mom was speaking Italian and a little bit of broken English. And I guess it all worked out because here I am. <laughs> now, this wonderful blending of cultural streams didn't feel like so much of an advantage when I was growing up in South Florida. Most of my friends spoke English, so in my stubbornness, I never really learned to speak Spanish very well. And in case you haven't noticed, I'm a bit awkward and gangly, which meant that I was not that awesome at things like playing baseball or dancing. So my family began to refer to me as the gringo of the family, right? The only Cuban that they knew that couldn't speak Spanish, couldn't play baseball, and couldn't dance a decent salsa or merengue. Now, I found myself in between, not Cuban enough to fit in within the Latin community, and not white enough to fit in within Anglo society, 
and Asian folk didn't even know what to do with me. I, true story, I actually had an Asian bank teller come straight out and ask me in California whether I was sure that my last name was Lau. I mean, it's really the only last name I've ever had, so yeah. So here I am. I'm a child of many worlds. I'm the son of immigrants. I'm graduating college as part of the first uh, generation in my family to have the opportunity to do so. And I'm trying to figure out who it is that I am and what it is that I'm supposed to do with my life. And honestly, sometimes I'm still trying to figure that out. But I wonder if I'm not alone in all of this. I wonder if this feeling of dislocation, of feeling like you don't quite fit in, is something that each and every one of us actually experiences at some point. Maybe for you it's not because of your heritage, or maybe it's because of your age. Or maybe it's because the pieces of your life don't feel like they quite fit anymore. Maybe because of the loss of a loved one, or a job, or a key relationship. Now why do I bring all of this up? The reason is because I think that the passage that we're actually going to be looking at today actually has a lot to say to those of us that feel like we're a little bit lost and in between. I think that God takes a special delight in actually showcasing how he helps people like us come home, and he gives us a sense of purpose. So, we're going to look together at Exodus chapter 3. This is the passage that we just heard from. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to that. But first, before we do that, I'm going to give you a little bit of context for the passage. Okay, so we're looking together at the beginning of Moses' story in Exodus. In chapters 1 and 2, we learn that not only have the people of Israel survived while living in Egypt, but they've actually thrived and multiplied. That what, became, what began as a sort of largish refugee family living in Egypt uh, that had moved from Palestine to escape famine there, has now become a multitude, a nation within a nation. We also learn that a new pharaoh has come into power. And this pharaoh is a little bit nervous about this large group of foreigners who are living in their midst. And he has the Egyptians enslave the Hebrews. He even sets a standing order that every newborn male Hebrew child would be drowned in the River Nile to keep the population from growing any larger. And it's into this situation that Moses is born. Now Moses' mom is not willing to let her son be killed, and so she hides him away. And miraculously, someone does find him and adopts him, Moses, Pharaoh's own daughter. And so Moses, instead of being killed, actually grows up in Pharaoh's court. Now, there are so many little wonderful details in this story, but what I want us to focus on is how Moses grew up. He was a Hebrew who grew up as a part of Pharaoh's court, while his family and people were enslaved and suffering. As a young man, he actually ends up trying to intervene in the suffering of his people, but he's rejected by them, and he ends up fleeing into the wilderness away from Pharaoh, who's now seeking to kill him. Moses settles down in the wilderness of Midian. He gets married, and he starts a family of his own. This is where we find him. But I think that Moses now also feels a little bit lost. And he deeply feels the fact that he doesn't really fit in anywhere. Like he doesn't quite know who he's supposed to be or what he's supposed to do. So much so 
that if you look back at the birth of his son in chapter 2, verse 22, you notice how he names him. He names him Gershom, which actually means wanderer. It says, he called his name Gershom for he said, I have been a sojourner, a wanderer in a foreign land. Moses' wife's family thinks that he's an Egyptian, but he knows that he's a Hebrew. His people are suffering back in Egypt, but they don't accept him as one of their own. And even when he tried to help, he was rejected. He was part of Pharaoh's court, but now he's living in exile. Moses doesn't know how to help. He doesn't know who he is, and honestly, probably at this point, those questions don't even really matter anymore. He's just trying to get through life. He's trying to provide for his family. Like many of us, he's just wandering. And it's in the midst of this, this dislocation, that God begins to speak. So, God does what any smart person does when they want to get a man's attention. They set something on fire. Right? So ladies, take note in case your husbands or boyfriends aren't paying attention to you. Right? So here's this, boy, here's this burning bush. Chapter 3, verse, verses 2 and 3, which miraculously is not being consumed. And Moses, predictably, turns aside to look. And God begins to speak. And we'll hear it again. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called, him, called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So here, in a few words, God introduces himself, tells Moses who he is, and why he's here. See, God too saw that something was on fire. He saw the suffering of his people. He saw their slavery. He heard their cry, and he had come down to deliver them. He stopped to look when the Israelites thought that God had looked away. God was here declaring that he saw their suffering and he was going to do something about it. You see, because God, in his deep, deep love for his creation and for all of us, cannot, will not abandon us to suffering. He sees all of it. He hears every cry. He knows the suffering of his creation intimately. And unfortunately, there is plenty of suffering for him to see. Indeed, if we stop to look around, we can clearly see the tremendous suffering that we are surrounded by. The World Justice Project, according to the World Justice Project, there are an estimated 5 billion people that live without the protection of the rule of law. An estimated 570 million women and girls experience gender-based violence every year. More than 50 million people are held illegally in slavery today. And one in four of those people is a child. These are often hidden sufferings, hidden stories of violence and abuse, suffering that would go unnoticed 
unless it were revealed and someone stopped to look. Suffering like that of Dom. Dom, Dom is, a, uh, is a rural farmer who's a hardworking rural farmer from a place in Cambodia, a rural village in Cambodia. As an uneducated, impoverished farmer, Dom is no stranger to suffering, but he works hard. He struggles to provide for his family and to send his kids to school. He grows rice and he catches fish in a nearby pond, just enough for him and his family to survive. But there is no other income and the family has debts that they cannot pay. You see, Dom is worried about the right things, some of the same things that you and I are. He's worried about providing for his family. He's worried about caring for his children. He's worried about building a life and a home. But where Dom's story changes is that someone took advantage of that anxiety. Someone named Kiov. Kiov was a labor recruiter in Dom's village who used to go from house to house trying to entice men with offers of generous pay and easy work across the border in Thailand. Taking advantage of Dom's poverty, Kiov offered him a job in Thailand working on fishing boats off of the coast where he could make more money than he could ever hope to make in Cambodia. Dom hastily agreed, hoping that this might be a way of making a better life for him and his family. As Dom traveled into Thailand, Kiov and his network paid for everything initially. After a long journey, he arrived at a port along the coast and was handed over to a boat captain. Dom remembers being placed on a boat with about a dozen other Cambodian men. And that is where everything changed. Dom didn't realize it at first, but he later came to understand. I was sold there, he says. The fishing vessel left the port and traveled thousands of miles out into the open ocean far beyond help or hope. He spent six months on the first boat. Despite the good wages that he was promised, he received only a fraction. For six months of work, he got about 1,500 baht, which is the equivalent of about $47. When his boat came to shore, he was moved to another ship, and the cycle of debt and severe exploitation would continue, this time for six years. The same traffickers who had recruited, transported, and sold these men into slavery also ensured that they remained trapped and brutal exploitation on the Thai fishing vessels under horrendous conditions. And they took the men's pay for their own profit. Despite what Kiev and his partners had promised, the work conditions were brutal and cruel. Days were long with no time to rest. The workers often spent 18 to 20 hours hauling heavy nets full of fish. Men were forced to work even when they were sick. Simple mistakes resulted in being beaten, thrown overboard, and being left for dead. Dom feared for his life. He told us about the suffering on the ship, how at times the men had boiling water thrown on them, or they were beaten with stingray tails. He told us, I was scared for my life, as they also carried guns. Some seamen even got killed and thrown overboard. Dom didn't know if he would ever see his family again or make it out alive. Dom was afraid, afraid that things would never change. After six years, he was finally sent home, only to discover that one of his sons was gone. Dom had little to no contact with his family, and his long absence had been very hard on them, 
And his son, not knowing all that his father had been through, had gone to the same labor recruiter to find work. Dom's son was also deceived and trafficked into Thailand. Kiov had sold his son too. Dom's suffering was hidden from his community. It was hidden from his family, but not from God. And God is here grabbing Moses' and our attention and helping us to see the suffering that he sees. He's challenging us to turn aside, to stop, to look, to look at people like Dom. But once we do that, then what? Well, this, dear friends, I think is where the magic actually happens. God goes on in the passage. He says, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a land that is flowing with good, sorry, to a good and broad land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel have come, has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the, the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So God tells Moses that he intends to deliver this people out of suffering, and he plans to use Moses. Well, Moses understandably has some questions about this. Moses says to God in verse 11, But who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? You see, Moses has the same question that we would if we were in that situation. Wait, 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 wait. Who am I to do this? Right? Who am I to go to Pharaoh? This question, I think, is more than just a response to God's call, though. This, I think, is the question that has been plaguing Moses for years. Who am I? Remember, Moses, like many of us, is an in-between person. Right? He feels like he doesn't fit. He sees himself and he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know where he belongs. Even when he's faced with the suffering of his people, he doesn't know what he should do about it. I've seen it too, God, but who am I? Who am I to do anything about it? You're asking me to go to the most powerful man on earth and say what? Let my people go? Who am I to do anything like that? Well, the reality is we ask the same question. Lost in our work, lost in our social lives, lost in our culture, and when we're faced with the suffering and pain of our neighbors, of people like Dom, we ask, who am I to do anything about that? But I want you to look a little bit more closely at how God answers Moses. He sees and he comes near to Moses as well. In verse 12, God says, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I used to think that, what, that God here was ignoring Moses' question. Like he was kind of saying, hey, never mind who you are. I'll be with you. Everything will be fine. But actually, after looking a little bit more carefully at the passage, I realize I don't think that, Moses, that God is ignoring Moses' question. No, instead, I think God is explicitly answering Moses' question. And God does that by recentering Moses on his true identity. God begins his calling of Moses graciously, lovingly, 
by reminding Moses of his identity in him. Indeed, I think that God here is seeking to make one thing crystal clear as he answers Moses' question. We find our meaning not in the work that we do or where we're from, but in the one who calls us. We find our meaning, our identity, our sense of purpose, first and foremost, in the one who calls us. God begins his calling of Moses here by reminding him that he sees Moses, that he is his God, and that now he is God's messenger. His identity is now as one who is sent by the God who sees suffering and is acting to save. God says to Moses, you are a child of a God who sees and who acts. Moses is calling his identity. His, it's all built on that fact. God comes to rescue Moses first. Really, this is the call at the heart of the gospel, a calling back to our true identity in Jesus, in God. Everything else flows outward from there. So also with us. It's an occupational hazard of living and working in a place like Washington, D.C. or New York City that we're always tempted to answer the question of who we are by telling people about what we do for a living or where we went to school or what our hobbies and interests are. But God here cuts through all of that to remind us and Moses that first and foremost, we are those who bear his image, his presence in the world. This is why I believe that the gospel is so critically important to the mission and the, why the mission of justice is so vital to the gospel. We are restored in the gospel as children of a God who sees suffering and intends to do something about it. That is our primary identity. That is who you are. You are children of a God of justice. This is about a proper relocation of our identity, a call to all of us who feel lost and in between, a mission and purpose for those of us who are now in Christ. If that is who our Father is, the God who sees and rescues, then how should we act as his children in the world? How should we respond when we see suffering around us, when we see and hear stories like Dom's? Well, I'm here to tell you that when the people of God follow his calling to go into dark places, when they remember their identity in him as rescuers, that he can and does bring the miracle. He sends people like you and me. He sends people like T. Tong Chai Kaono, or T for short, is currently serving in IJM Thailand as a lawyer. He's the youngest, but one of the brightest staff in our Thailand casework team. T was born stateless, belonging to a family from the Lawa ethnic hill tribe in northern Thailand. I think this is a little bit of the reason why I really enjoyed getting to know T and his work on the Thai team. T is a person, like us, in between. And some of you may understand better than most the struggle of not being recognized even by the country you call home. Initially, T thought that a person like him, without any identity or legal status, 
could never go farther than the mountains ahead of him. But he proved otherwise to himself and to those around him. He is a fighter by birth and a Christian in heart and soul. He ended up graduating from one of the most prestigious law schools in Thailand. And he joined our team to help make justice possible for people from all walks of life. He told us that when he first heard about IJM, he knew it was a holy call. So T joined a young team that was following God's call to take on an impossible challenge, to take on trafficking syndicates and gangs that were exploiting and abusing men like Dong. Our cross-border project teams in Thailand and Cambodia worked together and they discovered that a network of traffickers had been working and had been operating for nearly a decade across the Thai-Cambodian border. Poor Cambodian migrant workers like Dom and his son had unknowingly become entangled in webs of deceit and broken promises and exploitation. And many had been exploited by the same network, by Kiev and his associates. IJM and Cambodian police began to work with these men, and a case against this brutal trafficking ring emerged. Our team worked with authorities on both sides of the border and procured arrest warrants for Kiev and two of the other key players in the network. And in 2017, a Siem Reap court convicted these three men for trafficking crimes, the very first IJM-supported cross-border labor trafficking case in Cambodia. Dom chose to testify in the trial with his son. After the trial, Dom stated that he was so proud because he was finally able to stand up for his rights in front of the judge. Because of his courage and his testimony, Kiev is now behind bars and is no longer able to exploit people like Dom. These convictions carry an impact that is far beyond a single case. Today, long-running trafficking networks are being dismantled on both sides of the border, and each case sends a warning signal to other would-be traffickers of the consequences that they would face. T and his team in Thailand collaborate with other IJM teams around the region to ensure that traffickers have nowhere to hide from justice. And in 2018, IJM supported a case against five more actors in this same network, and all were held accountable. By the end of 2020, IJM has supported 50 convictions in Cambodian courts. We also work to ensure that survivors are well cared for. IJM's team in Cambodia partners with authorities and other organizations to provide trauma-informed care for returned fishermen and to connect them to opportunities to make a living. With a steady source of income, survivors like Dom are much less vulnerable to trafficking and exploitation in the future. Today, Dom is living with his family in his home province. His son is participating in a vocational training program so he can start his own business. And now living in a place of relative safety and strength, he, he told us, I want to see my children get married. I want to see them have a better life. I want to see them well and healthy. God has sent his people over and over again, his imperfect but being perfected, his broken but being restored, lost but now found people to bring rescue to people like Dom, his son, and more than 76,000 other beautiful men, women, and children that have been rescued by IJM and our partners. All of them made in God's image and deserving of a life in freedom. He is using his people to rebuild broken systems so that millions of people like Dom are protected and never have to suffer abuse again in the first place. 
As you've just heard through his story, our model boils down to four basic parts. First, strengthening justice systems through partnerships. Partnerships with police and judges and community leaders to respond to violence and make safe communities that last. Second is rescuing and restoring victims. We identify the places where people like Dom are trafficked, and we partner with local police to conduct rescue operations. Once rescued, we walk with survivors on the path to restoration until they can thrive in freedom. Third is bringing those criminals to justice. We work alongside justice system officials to bring strong cases against traffickers and to hold them accountable under local laws. And the last step is scaling the demand for protection. We convene and equip champions, including grassroots community leaders, survivors of trafficking, global corporations, and development institutions, all working together to protect people from slavery. International Justice Mission has built a global team of lawyers and social workers and community activists in 29 offices across 17 different countries who share this mission of protecting people like Dom from slavery and violence. But we cannot do this work alone. But what we also know is that God is in the business of making all things new, and he longs to use people like you to do it. He longs to take people like you and me, wandering in between, confused about who we are, and to restore to us our meaning, our identity, our sense of purpose in him as the one who calls us to join him on this rescue mission to the whole world. And I love this one last detail in the passage. God says that this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God tells Moses that not only will he go out and rescue his people, not only will God be with him when he does that, but then he will lead his people back to worship the God who sees them and loves them enough to act and save them. This, this is the mission of the church. To go out into a hurting world, to rescue, to restore, to protect, and then to come back here each week to worship the God who sees and who sends us. And we prepare together to go out and do it again the next week. This is the joy and the practice that we get to experience at IJM, celebrating and worshiping the God who sees. This is your calling, church. And today, we're asking you to lean into that vision. I want to issue some very specific challenges this morning. I want to challenge us as a church to join in with, the, with God on this bold mission and specifically to join IJM in the fight against injustice until all are free. I want you to join with great joy, knowing that you are children of the God who sees and sends us, that you can actually be part of this solution, that you can be part of helping men like Dom see that the gospel indeed is true, that God sees their suffering and he's going to do something about it, that Jesus rose from the dead, that his kingdom is coming, and that it is changing everything. I'm challenging you today 
to join with the rest of your brothers and sisters around the world and to pray boldly for the end of slavery and violence in our lifetime. Imagine the power of literally millions of Jesus' followers raising their voices as one to ask that slavery would be ended in our lifetime. I'm challenging you to join us on this mission. We have many openings at IJM and our partners, and we need people of skill and purpose. We need creative people who are going to allow God to rewrite the story of their lives and rediscover their identities as people who are sent by the God who sees. And I'm challenging you today to join us by becoming Freedom Partners. Now, some of you may have already joined us to become Freedom Partners. For those of you that are new or have never taken this opportunity before, I want to invite you to join with this global community of believers who are seeking to end violence and slavery. Freedom Partners give monthly to provide rescue and restoration to people like Dom. They pray alongside IJM for our most critical needs as we encounter them. Freedom Partners advocate for key legislation that seeks to end slavery, and you become part of IJM's community, walking alongside us and a global family that is working to extend God's kingdom to the most broken places on earth. You can join us as Freedom Partners right now by using the QR code that's right here up on the screen. Go ahead, take your phones out, pull it up if you have a moment. As you do, I want to help you understand what you are doing. Our goal at IJM is to protect a half a billion people by 2030 from slavery and violence. By signing up as a Freedom Partner today, you are making more than a donation. You are putting in a down payment on hope. You're injecting hope into broken places and walking with us in the resurrection vision of a world that God is building. If you're interested in getting even more involved, I would love to talk to you more after the service. Because at IJM, we've developed a unique model that at its simplest continues the biblical narrative of standing up to the powerful for the sake of the vulnerable. We can only do this work if the church leans into the vision. In the end, we must remember that God wants us, like Moses, to know who we are, that we are children of the God who sees, that he loves us, and he sees us, and he desires for us to be set free, and that he is sending us to set others free as well. Join us. Together, we can end slavery in our lifetime. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is more than just a calling to join with what an organization is doing. Lord, we know from your scriptures that this is a calling back to who we actually are in you. Lord, you've given this church a mission field here in this city, and I pray that they would take up that calling with joy, knowing that they are your children, children of the God who sees pain, who sees suffering, who sees lostness, and wants to heal and restore and protect and save. Lord, I pray that you would inspire us. Give us creativity and vision. 
Lord, may you give us hope. And may we carry that hope with us out into the watching world. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.